I welcome you all in the name of the Lord this morning. Um, we are finishing up uh, a last few sections in 2 Timothy. And so um, we come to these two verses that are quite foundational for anyone who's ever memorized any Scripture. If you've ever memorized Scripture, um, you know, when you were young or when you were older, these are two that have always been part of the list of verses to memorize because it's so important about God's Word. And that's where we are today. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, as uh, our brother Bill just read them for us. Um, let me begin by asking you a question and then sharing a little illustration. Have you ever known someone very, very consumed with God's Word? Have you ever known someone who was very consumed with the plight of the lost? Um, I grew up in a Christian home and have known about the Gospel for most of my life. I've grown up around the Scriptures. And sometimes, even as I grew older, things became so routine that I would not be thinking about God's Word or even the plight of the lost. I remember when I was in college, I would be walking through Washington Square Park in New York City, which is where our campus was around. We didn't have a closed campus. So we were always cutting through the streets of the city and this famous park, and there would always be people who were downtrodden or that were sometimes on drugs or just you know doing things that uh, are not good for them. And I got so used to walking past them that it eventually became just a routine. I did not even think of them or pray about them or try to even talk to them or to help them. I want to tell you about Dawson Troutman. I've talked about Dawson Troutman before. He was the founder of a ministry called The Navigators. That was actually the campus ministry that I was discipled by. But here was a man whose life was so consumed with God's Word and the plight of the lost. Dawes became introduced to the Gospel by a little Presbyterian church in Lomita, California. I think it was called Lomita Community Presbyterian Church. And the Sunday school teachers introduced him to the Bible and started having him memorize scriptures, and he eventually just started falling in love with the truths of scripture as he was being discipled. Eventually, he himself um, wanted to get involved with um, the ministry of the Word and, and gr- helping others grow. And he started um, uh, ministering to people out of his own little apartment that was on the back of an automobile service center. So he used to work there during the day and had a little room in the back. And little by little, as servicemen came into uh, you know, the port there, he would invite one and and spend time with them and just start talking about the gospel and talking about God's word 
and invited him to kind of a little study of God's word. And, 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 and some of these guys ended up actually living in the apartment with him and he mentored them. And eventually it got a name. It was called the Long Beach Servicemen's Club Minutemen. And then this incident happened. This was in 1928. This is from uh, one of the biographies of, about Dawson Trotman's life. By 1928, Dawson had a hitchhiker uh, uh, who came into his car and it changed um, so many things for him. While driving one evening, he picked up this hitchhiker who was swearing and generally unpleasant. He began to witness to him during the course of the ride and the hitchhiker looked at him in a puzzled manner. They both came to realize that Dawes had picked up this man almost exactly a year earlier and witnessed to him and led him to Christ. He dropped him off, had a conversation, prayed with him, and gave him a verse, Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And that began a ministry focused on growing and discipleship that eventually became called the Navigators. Navigators because it focused on men who were in the Navy and eventually to campuses all across the U.S. and many parts of the world. And I am a result of the efforts of some of those men and women. Um, the reason I ask that question is because I remember reading in the biography of things like Dawes would get up at five in the morning in the dark and, and go out to some remote place and pull out a map and just start praying for the lost. Based on the map, he would say, Lord, I know there are people in Japan. I know there are people here. And start praying for the lost and just get consumed with God's word and the lost. Well, I want to tell you, um, that's very, very much like what the Apostle Paul's life and aim was. You know, last week I was trying to give you some aspects where Paul says to Timothy, good job, Timothy, keep going now. Good job. You have followed in my example, in my teaching, in my conduct, and even in my purpose. And then I tried to read a verse to you, and I, I think I was trying to fumble for it, and I couldn't find it exactly. But I want to remind you today what Paul's aim and purpose was. Listen to this. Two verses from Romans. The goal of Paul's mission was to win obedience from the Gentile, Romans 15, 18. Bringing them to obedience of faith, Romans 1, 5. Referring to the conversion and subordination to the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ, which is a result of preaching the gospel. Paul became so consumed with that that the, the Gentiles would come to obedience in Christ and obedience in faith. And he says, Timothy, you've taken that on too. You've learned this from me and you followed in my example in wanting the lost to come to Christ. And so I want to remind you what Paul's life was all about. This last week during our staff meeting, I had a chance to share a devotional with our staff. And one of the things that I was thinking about with them was this. Do you realize that Paul wasn't just transmitting a doctrine or some truths to Timothy? 
You with me? Paul wasn't just transmitting some truths or some doctrines to say, here are the 10 doctrinal things that you need to know about Christianity. You know what Paul was doing? He was transmitting his very life with Timothy. Timothy learned so much more than doctrine. Timothy learned a way of life, mannerisms and how to speak and how to handle problems. Timothy learned Everything about the Apostle Paul. They spent so much time together. He discipled him. He mentored him. He loved him. He poured his heart out to him. Similar to how, very likely, Dawes did with these guys who came to live in his apartment as he discipled them. Timothy is walking away as a disciple who doesn't just know truths, but knows how to live it out. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So what you kind of see is a replica of the Apostle Paul in another life. And that's what we are. We are replicas of the Lord Jesus and replicas of the Apostle Paul and replicas of Timothy as we are discipled in these same sacred writings. Well, I'm going to jump in into these last two verses and share some real pastoral heart things for you. I don't have a lot of, lot of specific things I want to teach today as much as for you to walk away asking yourself this question, am I this kind of disciple? Or am I just assenting to a bunch of truths about what we call Christianity? Am I bought in with my whole life? Am I living this out? Does this come out when I talk to people? Do people recognize this in the decisions that I make about money and about friendships and about relationships and everything else? Well, let's pray together. I pray that today would be a challenge to you as it has been to me. Father, I pray that you will bless everything about this passage to us. Father, that you would illuminate it by your Spirit, that you would cause us to be pricked in our hearts and do heart surgery on us. That's my own prayer for myself, Lord. I know, I know, Lord, that I have failed in being a man after your heart and a man after your word and a man after your son. I want to be that. Pray, O oh Lord, that you might change us through your son, through our Lord Jesus, through his grace and forgiveness. And I pray that you would, Lord, open up our eyes to give us eyes to see him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My dad gave me my first Bible. Um, I actually don't have it, but this is one that was similar. It's falling apart. It sits in my office in a shelf. I don't use it anymore because the binding is messed up and all this. But my very, very first Bible um, was similar to this, and it was a Schofield study Bible. Do you guys know what that is? It is a study Bible, but it's um, a little different theologically in its study notes from maybe what we would uh, read or interpret the Bible as, but I still remember the day I was 12 years old, and my dad had gotten three Bibles from his Sunday school teacher, who was uh, the pastor of that little church that I mentioned in New Jersey often. So he would attend this Sunday school class, um, and, and uh, he, he got three Bibles, one for himself, one for my brother, and one for me. And I still have it this beautiful leather red Bible, and um, his words to me, um, that this is 
the most important book you'll ever have. And it really was the best book that I ever got in my whole entire life. I was actually an English major um, in college, and I grew to love people like um, Keats and Coleridge and uh, Edgar Allan Poe and um, so, I, I mean, so many that I could list. And there were times where they became my friends because they lived right next to me uh, near the bed because I had to read and read and read, and I wasn't, wasn't a great reader. But I really enjoyed even the poetry and the writings and the short stories and the long stories and all of that. But I will tell you this, even now, I am enamored with books, as Pastor Jeff is, and most of us who like to read, we're probably enamored with books. But I want to tell you there's one book that is the best book that you will ever read and that you will ever get, and that is God's Word. And if you could only choose one book to have on your, uh, in your pocket, in your knapsack, to be on a desired, deserted island with uh, island with for the rest of your life, let it be God's holy word. I want to read to you. Um, uh, I, well, let me, I told you I was going to show you some things. So my uncle in uh, New York gave me my very first Bible. I was four years old. It's called the Children's Bible. And uh, I found a newer copy. This is the one that we use in our house right now but the other one's torn and it's got crayon markings in it. And I try to remember, did I do that? Uh, it brought back lots of memories. Um, this is what we use at our house now, and I would recommend it. The Biggest Story Bible Storybook by Kevin DeYoung, Don Clark. Relatively new. If you guys who have kids at home do not have a story Bible that's true to the Scriptures and true to redemptive history and true to Christ, I would encourage you to read the Jesus Storybook Bible or Catherine Voss's Bible Storybook or even this new one by Kevin Dion. This, again, is called The Biggest Story Bible Storybook, which redemptively speaks of the work of Christ through every story Bible. And then, if you do not have a study Bible, those of you who are older, I would recommend a good study Bible. The Reformation Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, this is an old New Geneva study Bible, which the Reformation study Bible came out of, I think. And so um, a good study Bible is useful to you as you read Scripture and as you try to understand what these hard passages mean. But let me, um, let me for the sake of our, our study here, read to you a couple more things. Now, listen to these quotes, and then we'll read a few verses, Okay. The Word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and it will defend itself. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The Bible is God's voice speaking to us just as truly as if we heard it audibly. John Wycliffe. The whole of Scripture, therefore, demonstrates how God, by His Word, offers and bestows upon us every good thing. John Calvin. The Word of God is like a hammer that shatters the rock of our resistance and a fire that consumes our resistance. John Knox. The Scriptures are filled with verses that talk about itself. Listen to what I just said. The Scriptures are filled with Scriptures that talk about what it is. 
as it talks about itself. Listen to Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word, your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Job 23.12, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Matthew 4.4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Luke 11.28, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Friends, um, so many more verses that I can... I can read, um, but I'm not going to read all of them for you, but I encourage you to study what the Bible says about itself sometime. It'll be incredibly valuable for you to hear how the Bible speaks about itself. And that's where I'm kind of going to start today. We looked at verses 14 and 15 last week, and just in a quick recap, I'm going to tell you where we were last week and then jump into 16 and 17. In verses 14 and 15, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you know what you have learned and from whom you have learned it. You know what you have learned and from whom you have learned it. And now continue on in it. Press on in it. Prioritize it. Major in it. Continue on, Timothy. Good job. Now keep going. Listen, what he was really telling Timothy is, you know that your mother and grandmother would not lead you wrong. You know that I wouldn't lead you wrong. And that since from a young age, they prioritized the sacred writings of God, the very words of God. So, Timothy, trust it. Believe it. Love it. Your mother and grandmother are not people like some false prophet off the street. These are godly, wonderful, holy women that have raised you up, your mother and grandmother. And so trust it and continue on in it. And then why? Not just from whom, but also what it was. And I mentioned it before. Paul calls it the sacred writings what you are to continue in, what you learned, and that I want you to continue in, and it will be the words, the writings that give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Remember what I just said about one book? Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something that this is one of our faults. Our hearts are so bent that we love everything else except God and His Word. Okay? Everything enamors us more than God and His Word. We want to read gossip magazines. We want to read fiction. We want to read biography, biographies of great men like Winston Churchill. Listen, I have those books on my shelf. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. But I'm asking you to realize that there's only one book that has the wisdom to lead you to salvation. There's only one book friends, that we can entrust to our children to say, this is how you should live. This is how to find life. This is how to be happy. This is how to know right from wrong. And so Paul is really telling his son in the faith, 
just go and continue in the truth of God's Word, Timothy. And one other thing, as we kind of just finish looking at 14 and 15, it all points to Christ. Did you hear what I said? It all points to Jesus Himself. All the Scriptures are about Jesus the Messiah and what He's done for us and calls us to, to be His disciples and His followers, to do what the Lord calls us to in His Word. So, if you ever think, well, you know, I, I want to be all about Jesus. I, I, is it so important that we idolize a book? There are people who, say, who talk like that. It's like, well, God's Word... You know, the Bible's important, but we want to be a people or a church all about Jesus. Hear this if you haven't heard it already. You can never pit Jesus against God's Word. You can never pit the, God, the Word of God with Jesus. One leads us to the other. And the Scriptures speak of Christ, and Christ is the fulfillment of all the Word of God. And so we need the Word of God. We need to love the Word of God. In verses 16 and 17 then, we hear the why. Sort of the reasons. Why? So Paul says to Timothy, continue on in the Word. By the way, at the end, I'd like to give you a few practical suggestions because maybe you're in a rut with God's Word. Maybe you think you know it already. Or maybe you think it's old hat. It is not. This is why you'll read a scripture or hear a scripture in the morning and that very day the Lord will show you this is why you read that verse. This is why I had you in that passage. It is for you today. It is going to change you today. It's going to impact your decisions today. God's word is living and powerful and not like Samuel Coleridge and not like Keats and not like Edgar Allan Poe. This is a word that is going to make a decision or help you make the decisions for life to truly find happiness. So, three main reasons to live and continue in God's Word. Three main reasons, okay, that Paul's asserting to Timothy. The first is, it's the breathed out very words of God Himself. It's the breathed out very words of God Himself. Secondly, it's profitable. I want you to think about that. Why don't we spend more time in God's Word? Is it because you think it's not useful enough? Or practical enough? Or helpful enough? Or beneficial enough? The Scripture says about itself, it is the most practical and beneficial book in the whole world. Thirdly, it's all-sufficient. And what I mean by that is that it equips us who are disciples of Jesus with all that we need for all of life, for faith and practice, life and godliness. So let me start with the first one. Some of this is going to be repetitive for you and you've heard it before, but I'm going to say it so you hear it and let God's Spirit prick your hearts as it has mine. I'll share this really truthfully with you. There are multiple times in the last two weeks just being in verses 14 to 17. And as I was hearing it again through Bible apps and meditating on it and hearing it again and again, there are multiple times where I pulled off 
to the side of the road because my eyes filled with tears as I realized that I have not done justice and I have downplayed God's word and I've not lived it out and I've treated it like a job because I have to teach or preach it and that I haven't loved it enough. And the first reason is because it's not just inspired like we normally hear it being used today, that word. It's used today, the word inspire is kind of used to think about something that motivates us or encourages us or uplifts us, though God's word certainly does that. You know that name I mentioned earlier, Samuel Coleridge? He was a, he was a, a poet uh, that I used to enjoy very much. Um, Coleridge, he used to say this, and this actually got refuted in the 20th century by good churches and people who loved and knew God's word and by believers. Coleridge used to say, yeah, I believe the Bible's inspired because it inspires me. That's not what it means. It's not called the inspired word of God because it inspires us. It's called the inspired word of God because it is the very breathed out words of God himself. Okay, let me take it a step further for young people in the room or new Christians in the room for you to hear this. It literally means that every single word, all scripture, means every writing, every word is inspired by God. Now, here where I'm going with this, it's not meaning that it's generally inspired by God being the source and it's God's ideas and then human authors get to write up with what they come up with and generally get his thought pattern because he's the source of the idea. That's not what it means. All means that all the writings, every word is breathed out as the word by, by God himself. Do you remember our reflection verse, 1 Thessalonians 2.13? 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul's writing to the Thessalonian church and saying this. Please hear this. This is Paul speaking to a church he loves about his own words to them. And he says, I thank God that you receive my word not as the words of men, but as the word of God. Hadn't even really been written down into a book form yet. But he's saying to the church, I thank God that you received my word, not as the words of men, but the word of God. Friends, young people here, older people here, followers of Christ, our so-called followers of Christ, we all claim to be followers of Christ. Can I ask you this? How high is your view of Scripture? Did you hear what I asked? How high is your view of Scripture? Are you just assenting to this being, yeah, I know it's God's Word. Well, why, why doesn't it ever get cracked open then during the week? Why do we have easier times memorizing movie lines than God's Word? Come on, tell me that. I can sit with a friend 
during any mealtime and throw out a line and say, I know what that movie is. We can quote movie lines faster than we can quote God's word. This is true of me. My favorite movie is Nacho Libre. <laughs> My kids always make fun of me for that. I just throw that out there. So many lines, right? But here, here, here's where I'm going. That's just a dumb little silly movie. And this is the very breathed out words of God himself. Every word is inspired, friends. It's, in the Greek, that word all means not just a general thought pattern. Here's, here's how it works. God is inspiring writers that he has chosen and given them the words through his Holy Spirit that they don't just write down their own thoughts. They are literally writing down his words as he's given those words to them. So, application question. Friends, do you live like this is the very breathed out words of God? Okay, I'm going to ask you even harder by your daily life choices. How about in your parenting? How about in your marriage? How about in your money dealings? How about your attitudes? How about your own words? You know, you talk up God here on Sunday, and then during the week, you deny Him. Do you follow your own inclinations and selfish desires or God's? You know, I've said this many, many times because it's a finger pointing at me and sometimes I have to pull off the road and repent. I love me more than I love anybody else. I love me more than I love anybody else. And that's why I follow my own inclinations and selfish desires and not God's. We are often wrong, but God is always right. Okay. Secondly, it's profitable. Do you see that word, profitable? I love that word. That means the Bible's not just theory. I love friends here. I've gotten to know another brother here really closely over the last couple of weeks. Two brothers in particular. I call them the B&B boys. Bill Cornfield and Bill Cobb. They are building bookshelves in my office. And they've finished it and they've been installing it and I love listening to them and talking to them. You know what I love about them? They aren't just talking, they're doing. So practical. So down to earth. They're thinking numbers and measurements, not, hey, we think it'll fit. They're so practical, so useful, so profitable. Our aim should be never to make the Bible sound irrelevant. It's not. Because it's not, it already is relevant. It is supremely useful. You know, our jobs as pastors or teachers, Sunday school teachers, our job is not to make the Bible sound relevant or useful or practical enough for you to take it or believe it. It already is. Our job is to not make it sound irrelevant. And I truly, I took that, uh, heard that from a commentary, read that in a commentary this week, and I thought, how true is that? 
like a lion that doesn't need to be defended as Charles had in Spurgeon said. The Bible, the scriptures are not only relevant and useful, but it is absolutely essential for us. We cannot live without it. Can I just mention a few things in passing? Because this is not a hard passage to understand, right? But here's the assertion. It is useful for imparting truth, for admonition. That's what the word reproof means. For warning us against errors, for correction, for redirecting us. You ever need to be redirected? I do. You know, you just get bound into whatever you love and you just get selfish and all about you and I need to be redirected where God says, get back on track. Keep the main thing the main thing. Focus on me. Keep your eyes on me. For training in righteousness, for godliness. If those things aren't true of you, brothers and sisters, you need to have a mind and heart check. If those things are not true of you, if you do not look at God's Word like it's going to impart truth to you and, and, and admonish you and help you with warnings from errors and for correction and training in righteousness, then you have to have a mind and heart check right now today. Okay, thirdly, it's all sufficient for the Christian life to equip every believer for holiness and godliness. Do you remember Jesus' words in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 17? John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 17. It's another good verse for memorization. Listen to this. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus says. Your word is truth. Lord, make them holy. Make them godly. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is all sufficient for the Christian life. Listen, this is what I mean by this. We don't just get converted and then just live whatever way we want to live. That's not what I tell my children. Now you're Johanan, just go do whatever you want. No, we live in this house this way. You respect your elders. When someone walks in, you stand up. You don't call someone by their first name. There are some standards that I have as their dad. And if they don't like it, I let them know that I don't like it. We live by God's words and it is sufficient for us to live a holy and happy life. Why were you made, friends? This is out of the confession and out of our catechisms. To be holy and happy. Don't ever think that you can be happy apart from Christ. Don't ever think one of your family members can be happy apart from Christ. Don't pray for people to be happy. Pray for them to come to know the Lord and to know His Word because that's the only way they will ever be happy. You want to test it? Go ahead. Live your life. Come and speak to me in 20 years. Tell me how it turned out. Try it your way. The Bible is the only thing that we've been given to live a sufficient, happy holy Christian life, and it equips every believer for holiness and godliness. God's truth should lead us to lives that are holy and happy, where we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you love, cherish, and live out the Scriptures? This is what God's Word does for us, friends. 
It's the very word of God. Do you realize that the Greek word theopneustos, I'm not going to do a Greek lesson, but it really literally means you feel the breath of God. God is speaking His word to you in this beautiful book. It is the mind and heart of the king of the universe and the God of the world. And how we take it so lightly and brush it aside and give everything else important instead of this. But young people here and old people here, look, you want to be happy? Go to God's Word. Don't listen to CNN or Fox News. Go to God's Word. He knows you because He made you. And He says, trust me. Put my Word first. Put my Son first and everything else will fall into place. As I close, I want to just remind you of a story. Jesus was just resurrected, (laughs) and he was on a road to a place called Emmaus. And there are a couple of disciples that were really heartbroken. They were just they're just sad. They're, they're probably, you know, beside themselves. They're, they're just kind of thinking, oh, our life is destroyed. We gave our lives to this mission. We said we'd follow this Jesus, and, and, and he's dead now. They crucified him. Jesus comes alongside of them, and he walks along with them on this road to Emmaus. You know the story, some of you, and for those of you who don't, I want you to think about it again. Jesus is not recognizable to them. But as he's walking with them, he opens up the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament. The Pentateuch. The, the words of Moses. The poetry. The, all of that. He opens up the Old Testament and from beginning to end, he talks about himself through the very words of God. He reveals salvation and Messiah and all of it through the very words of God. And then that evening, they encourage him to stay with him for the night and he breaks bread and their eyes are opened and they realize it's Jesus. And you know what they say to themselves? Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures and told us about himself? Does that happen to you? It often does not with me. That's how deep and powerful and beautiful God's Word is. That even when we're hearing it on the radio or CD or hearing it preached, your hearts are burning because it's the very Word of God speaking to you for you and your problems and everything you're going through today because He loves you, He made you, and He knows what it takes to make you holy and happy. That's our hope for you. That's Pastor Jeff and my, our, our church's hope for you is that your hearts would burn when you hear God's Word. He made you. He knows everything about you. He loves you. And he's saying, trust me, follow me, believe my words.
Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would convict us, forgive us. Lord, help us to prioritize everything about you, including your holy and precious words that come from your heart and mind that are your very breath. And Father, would you equip us for all the things that come at us in this life so that we can be holy and happy. Lord, um, pull us back from the detours and from our own selfish hearts and cause us to be alive in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.